0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. If you guys can make your way to uh, the book of Philippians, we're going to be finishing up chapter 1 today. Um, hey my name is Travis and I'm one of the pastors here at Shorebreak. I'm so thankful. We are so thankful and honored, honestly, that you would, would come back, especially after last Sunday. I know that wasn't really light, um, but it was a good message for us. Again, it's because we love you. We, we're here to fight for your joy. So we're glad and honored that you would take yours, this beautiful Sunday morning to be here with us. We don't take that lightly and so it's been our prayer that you would be blessed the time that you took to carve out of your day to be here, that God would speak and minister to you right where you are at. And we believe that, um, that his word does that, that God promises that as his word goes out, it will accomplish what he pleases. And so um, I just want to take a moment to pause before we get into an, uh, our sermon and get going. Uh, to thank everyone who has volunteered. We have people volunteering this morning, of which you do not see, who control the words on the screen, who play music up on stage, who run, try to run computers and sound that crash right before service starts. Uh, we have people who are baristas, people who come in and set up signs, uh, and people who come in and set up for cakey. So could we just take this moment as a church collectively, gather together and just thank everyone who takes the time to serve on Sunday mornings. Thank you. So much, we really do appreciate you. Um, we are able; all of this that happens happens because of people like you. You serving, you giving of your time, you giving of your resources to be here, and so thank you. And and so, with that said, though, I did want to make a call to action. Um, uh, even some of the things that we're going to be talking about today, the scriptural evidence of us. Coming alongside one another and serving is very much a biblical principle, very much a a biblical reality of the early church, and so we see people serving and and loving one another, and so we have a massive need in Keiki right now, Um, and uh, so if you live, you breathe, and you kind of like kids, you don't have to love them, just kind of like them, right, um, we would love for you, we provide the training, we provide the resources, we would love for you to jump on board and to serve. The great thing is we have two services, so you can still serve one service, even serve with your spouse, your boyfriend, or if you're looking for one of those, got that too, or girlfriend rather. You can be guy guide too, uh, join up, serve, and be a part of KK. And, and listen, it is a blessing. Um, in fact, when my wife and I, when we were um, dating and then engaged, we served in Keiki. I wanted to see, man, is this someone, she, she good with kids. and How else am I going to know unless we're, we're uh, serving in Keiki? And so we've served in Keiki. In fact, uh, for the two and a half years this church plant has uh, been birthed and has been continuous, my wife, along with all the other wives, they're going to hate that I'm saying this, serve Sunday in, Sunday out. So we're not asking you to give anything that we ourselves have not sacrificed of our time. So if you have kids and you drop them off in Keiki, or if you don't have kids, but you're looking for an area to serve, we're looking for about a dozen people to sign up to serve in Keiki. So we uh, look forward to many of you signing up and joining to be a part of that team. Um, again, we provide all the training with that, and so... um. Yeah, and so I know I don't have to guilt you. I just know that the whole Holy Spirit and God will put it on your heart to sign to do that in one way or another. Because again, um, this time is our time to be in the Word. And of course, Cakey are invited to join us in here, and they often do, which is, which is fantastic. But we also want to serve them right where they are at. And so give them the gospel and steward the gospel to them at their level. Because let's be honest, you fall asleep sometimes, right? I see it. I mean, you don't pretend like I see it. So we expect cakey to make it through this one, when, when some of us aren't even making it through. Um, so it's, there is a very evident need of us giving the gospel to them at their age level. So there you go. Philippians chapter one. It was Paul's great expectation that Jesus would be magnified that Jesus would be exalted, that Jesus would be made much of in his life and through the life of the Philippians, that God would be glorified through his life whether Paul lives or whether Paul the apostle who wrote the Philippians, that God would be glorified whether he lives or whether he dies. We watch Paul Last week, be be torn in two different directions. Does Paul live or does Paul die? In fact, many people have wondered as they've read through this, is he suicidal? I mean, you have to wonder, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and I would much rather go to die. Does this guy want to end his life? Does this guy want to just end his life? And so he is torn between these two. Paul says, do I live Or do I die? He would rather die to be with Jesus. But for their sake, he wanted to stay to fight for the joy of the Philippians. And like any battle, there is blood to be shed, there is death to be had in fighting. But that's the reality. The glory of God, we saw, is what fueled Paul's joy. It was Paul's prayer that Christ would be honored, that Christ would be exalted, and that in doing so, Paul would find his joy in Christ. So see the tie there from verse 20 into verse 21 that we talked about last week. The more Christ was honored, the more joy Paul had. This is why he says for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I must decrease, he must increase because Jesus was Paul's greatest treasure. There is no one more loved, no one more cherished, no one more pursued after in Paul's life than Jesus. Jesus was supreme entirely over Paul's life because a life worth living for Jesus is a life worth losing for Jesus. And here's the great thing about it though, Christian, or even non-Christian, I would plead with you. In your pursuit of pleasure, knowing Jesus is not the end of pleasure. Knowing Jesus does not kill our pursuit of trying to find happiness. In fact, the invitation is, in verse 21, that for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And what Paul continues to say for what we talked about in our verses last week is that as you pursue Jesus, you are pursuing the most glorious happiness and joy you will ever find in this life. Because all the temporary pleasures are just pointing to the great pleasure who is Jesus. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. To be a Christian is to treasure him. And so while we are here, may we as this church live for Jesus. May our pursuit, may we just spend our lives for Jesus, right? May we live for him. For me to live is Christ. And when we die, may he be glorified in his death because death is gain. Death is the way we receive what we've been treasuring all this time. This is having Jesus as our greatest treasure. Jesus, to be a Christian at the end of the day and having Jesus is not jumping through religious hoops so you don't have to go to hell. Guys, faith, faith in Jesus is trusting that the wells of everlasting water taste better than the wells this world has to offer. Belief in Jesus is believing that treasuring Christ and seeing his beauty is better than anything you could behold in front of you and treasure in this life. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And so now we end uh, of chapter one with some of these thoughts that Paul continues on. Uh, Verse 27 of chapter one specifically. Let's all stand for the reading of his word. and not frightened to end anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you, but for, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that I, that you saw, I had, and now here, that I still have. Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Thank you that your word is alive, and so we ask that you would breathe your life into our dead bones this morning that you would bring life where there is none, that you would shine light where there is darkness, that we would decrease, that Jesus, you would increase, and that today, in this very moment, in this time, in your word, we would treasure the word above any of our opinions. Have our minds shaped and transformed. Lord, thank you that you've brought these people in here. Thank you for the church that you are building. It is so, such a privilege to be part of what you're doing here, God. And and thank you for these people. Thank you for all those that serve, that give of their time. And we do pray that more would serve. Not out of guilt, but out of the, the drive that we read and that we see even in our scriptures today, Lord. So Lord, may I serve your church well, God. May we present to you, God, at your return, a bride pure, waiting for your return. So Lord, would you help me to be faithful to your scriptures and receive all of us. Give us the ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. What if I told you that an hour ago on my way to church this morning, I was speeding down the road really fast, way too fast, over the speed limit. And I, I crashed head on into a light pole. I mean, just wrapped my car around it. Driver's side was just smashed into it. The, the steering column and the engine compartment was in the back seat of the car. And I'm, I'm t- it was a horrible accident. It was a brutal accident accident i mean my body was 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 not in good shape the the paramedics had to come the, the police were there to the, file the report and they took uh, pictures and and it was it was a very bad accident would you believe me why not well pretty easy right there is no physical evidence at all that that event never ever took place right You would be looking at me right now and saying, right, you're standing in front of us. There's no way that event happened and you going head on over the speed limit, crashing into a light pole or a telephone pole, which maybe that's why we didn't have cell phone service yesterday, right? Come on, what was that? Anyways, I'm done. Rant there. You would be looking for evidence of that to be true. There would be a physical mark on my body if that event took place. anyone who has a head-on collision with the God of this universe, anyone who encounters God in all of his glory will be marked by him. Think of going 60 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour rather, hitting a pole, the effect of that. How much more if we, his creation, sinful creation, have a head-on collision with God There will be evidence. Just look at the guy who wrote the book of Philippians has a head-on collision with God on the road to Damascus experiences the glory of God gets knocked off his horse on the ground who are you lord is what Paul says one of the best lines in the Bible who are you God Today's verses, and and not just today's, but even as we make our way through about half of uh, chapter two, will seem very demanding on you. But again, you have to remember, we are looking at what does Christian maturity look like? What does it look like to grow in the knowledge of loving Jesus? What does it look like for us to have joy in Jesus? These verses will seem very demanding if you haven't had an encounter with the glory of God. See, the realities of Paul and the Philippians seeing the glory of God in their life is the result of the following verses that we will read. These following several verses are the evidences of a collision with the glory of God. So if in us reading some of these things, you're not sure, you're checking in your heart, is that evidence in my life? Um, Again, don't try to do the good works that are mentioned here, but first pray that through the Holy Spirit you would reveal and that God would reveal and that you would see Jesus in all of his glory because this can quickly become law. So we read in verse 27, Paul says, only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life, only, that is a forceful word, isn't it? Only, exclusively, forcefully. Paul, Paul's not leaving any really option here for us to live our life in any other way except the manner that he is going to mention. He says, only. This is a forceful word. This is an exclusive word. So Paul right now is seizing the attention of us, the audience, as we are reading this, and especially those in Philippi, saying, focus on this. Don't let anything else distract you. Don't let anything deter you from this. This is what matters. Only speaks of This is what should mark you. This is the first evidence. This is what Paul wants to hear about the Philippians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So um, an immature or a non-Christian would read that and think, okay, that means I need to... uh, Have the mannerisms of the gospel, so I need to perform my religious duties so that I'm approved by God. Now, We'll get there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But but first, we need to have our attention drawn to what Paul says, still at the beginning here. Verse 27 is loaded, actually. We could easily read over it, but he says, Only let your manner of life be. You can circle that, take notes on that word. Life be. In the original language, the language that Paul is trying to imply there, of which we lose in our English translation, is this language of citizenship. Citizenship. Paul is speaking to the Philippians now here, saying, let your manner of life be, speaking of their citizenship. Now, they would have immediately caught on to that very quickly then. Citizens made sense because, well, of course, we know Paul's writing to the Philippians, so they were citizens of the city of Philippi. But people took pride in their citizenship then. They were part of the the empire of Rome. They were part of this massive Roman empire, and so to be a Roman citizen was an honor. For, for many, not for all, but for many, it was an honor for them to be part of the Roman citizenship. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is not saying that they should take their pride in their Roman citizenship or, or their, even their, their citizenship as Philippians. Now, if anyone, if anyone gets taking pride in their citizenship, it's the, those of us who live here in Hawaii, right? Like, how many other states or other countries have the shape of their land on stickers, right? I mean, we take pride in that. I mean, we... You know, and, and, and we, put, we take these stickers and we put them on, on helmets, we put them on our paddles, we put them on our cars, we put them on our surfboards, we stick them on our, our binders for school, we put them on water bottles, we put them everywhere because we take pride in our citizenship. I mean, the shape of the islands is, is very much a thing. As citizens of these islands, we take pride in. It, it's just the truth. It is. And it's not only true for, speaking of stickers, but, but for those who are kama'ina. Those who are one of the land. Those who are from here, raised here, a child of the land. In fact, um, it's, it's very interesting. We were in Hilo yesterday. Yesterday was my day off, and so we spent the, time, the day over in Hilo. And, 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 and I reminded why I love Kona so much. I don't hate Hilo, I just really like Kona, right? Now, a lot of us are laughing because we're from Kona, but guess what? There's people laughing right now Sunday morning at us who live over here in Kona. Because you'll talk to people who will say, um, you know, they, they, I just I don't really get Kona. I love Hilo side. Hilo is my, my home. I've come on. I've been raised. I, I take pride in living in Hilo. And I'm not a huge fan of Kona. And then you'll talk to people who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm from Kona. I love Kona. I'm not really a huge fan of Hilo. I don't really get why people would selectively choose to live in the clouds and the rain for the rest of their life. I don't really under, under understand that, and so we take pride in living in Hilo. If anyone gets this concept of citizenship and taking pride in it, it, it would be us. I think we could easily identify with the Philippians and taking pride in the fact that they live in Philippi and that they are part of the Roman Empire. They would say, I'm a Roman, I, I'm a Philippian, Take that knowledge then. So when Paul says now, only let your manner of citizenship, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel because you treasure Jesus above all things, because Jesus is your greatest pursuit, your citizenship is in heaven. Not only, yes, are you a child of the land, but more so, you are a child of the king. You were a child of of God. And if we then are children of the king, if you are a child of the king, and your citizenship is in heaven, we should reflect the kingdom that we are a part of. Our mannerisms, our behaviors, our love should be shaped by the gospel. Because you see, when we treasure Jesus above all things, that means our life is now a life that has been marked by citizenship, and we are changed. Jesus is magnified, our joy is full, and so our manner of life is worthy of the gospel. Let your citizenship be. Let your, the manner of your life be because you are citizens of heaven worthy of the gospel. Listen, this doesn't mean we just memorize the Bible. All right, I came to church on Sunday. I'm doing my religious activity and duty. I memorize the Bible and then I go home and I live however I, I want. But we live our life in light of the gospel. Oh the danger there is for us who are Christians to be consumed with the kingdom and forget about our king. It should scare us a little bit. That we can get so consumed with our citizenship here even as Christians and our re- activity as Christians and forget about the king of the kingdom. Our heavenly citizenship should affect our earthly living. The gospel affects your manner of life. The gospel should so sink into your soul that it drives how you live for Jesus, which means there is not an area of your life that the gospel should not touch. There is not a corner of your heart of which the gospel should not have access to. The gospel gets all of you. The gospel gets all of me. It gets all of us. And we try to block out areas of which, like, okay, I don't want your light there, Christ. I don't want you there, part of my life. But, but, but here comes the gospel just invading and getting all of us. Now, unless we fall into the trap of moralism, Paul reminds us that this worthy life is a gospel-centered life. If you are a Christian, God has called you to live a holy life. He has. In fact, salvation means you've been saved from living an unholy life to now living a holy life all for his glory. A life worthy of the manner of the gospel. So ask yourself this morning, for whatever you're facing in front of you, is this worthy of the gospel? Are my desires, are my pursuits, are my passions, are my treasures worthy of the gospel? Let your manner serve as evidence. If the gospel is in you, if the gospel is working within you, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, remember he's in prison writing this, he says, I may hear that you are standing firm and one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It is by the Spirit first and initially we are able to stand firm in the gospel. That that as Christians we have a dependency upon the Holy Spirit to sustain us and to give us the strength to stand on top of Christ who is our cornerstone. Like If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have that help. In fact, it's why Jesus uh, told Peter and the disciples who uh, were ready to go and tell the world that Christ has been risen from the dead. What did Jesus say? Wait, Peter. You're going to blow this if you don't wait. You've got to stay here and wait for what? The power of the Holy Spirit to come. For the Spirit to fall upon them to do all that they can do. Because we cannot stand firm apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. We are able to stand firm. We should be unmovable and unshakable in what we believe. But in our standing firm, how do we stand firm? Do we stand firm alone? Not at all. In fact, if we look again at verse 27, we are to stand firm, Paul says, side by side side by side we are to stand sh- sh- shoulder to shoulder side by side that you and me would be next to each other living life that is how we are going to stand firm now this this terminology paul uses here is actually a military term and paul's using this military term no doubt thinking of the roman army there is no greater empire that this world has ever seen, still to this day, than the Roman Empire. If you can rule the world for about 2,000 years, you're doing pretty good, right? I mean, they ruled the land, and they didn't have jets, they didn't have submarines, they had horseback. That's how massive the, the Roman army was, that they, with their heavy hand, ruled an empire for 2,000 years. And so what Paul says here when he's saying side by side, this, this military term is speaking of when Roman soldiers would stand next to each other before they were to go into battle and what they would do is they would lock their shields with their other Roman soldiers. They would run up to the front of the battle. They would stand side by side locking their shields which made them stronger if they stood on their own. This, this imagery uh, vividly brings up the picture of Gladiator. Um, there's a scene in, in Gladiator uh, that's taking place as uh, Maximus is there in the Roman Colosseum. Those of you maybe can recall this scene. And it's later when they're fighting some, one of their last battles there in the Roman Colosseum. And uh, Maximus Meridius... Uh, and the other gladiators are about to experience what could be horrible bloodshed. Um, They're they're in this colosseum. They are locked in. They are slaves fighting as gladiators, and they lift these gates, and hell unleashes on them, horses and weaponry, and they are severely outnumbered. Thousands of people watching for fun this event take place, fighting for their lives, and I love that as the gates open, what Maximus says to the other men who are there, he says, whatever comes out of these gates, Maximus, by the way, who was uh, ahead over the Roman army, one of the heads, one of the leaders, whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. If we stay together, we survive. Come together, lock your shields. And you'll just have to watch the rest of the movie if you want to, to see what happens. But it's awesome, (laughs) say that much locking shields made them stronger than if they were ever to stand with their own shield on their own. Paul is appealing to the Philippians to stand together. Philippians, you've seen the Roman soldiers stand side by side. We've seen them fight wars. We've seen them take land after land. We've seen them be the best, most powerful army this world has ever seen for 2,000 years rule. And they did so in their strength in numbers. Standing side by side, locking shields. That's what Paul says here. That's the imagery that would have been invoked in the minds of the readers of Philippians. Hey, church, stand side by side. And just so you know, this is explicitly speaking about the local body of believers. The church. This. Because you have to remember, Philippians is a letter written to a local church, the church in Philippi. We are, as Christians, to be doing life with one another. You and me, each other, this church ohana, doing life side by side with one another. And this ties back to us, again, being citizens, letting our life be worthy in a manner of the gospel. Because we read in in Ephesians 2.19, again written by Paul, Paul says, See then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Because we are citizens of the king, we are not strangers, we are not aliens, we are not outsiders. However, instead, because we are citizens of God, we are known. We are known by one another. We have relationship with one another. We know each other's struggles. We are able to pray for one another. This is knowing others and being known by others because we stand side by side. Do you see that you're standing firm? Do you see that our standing firm is determined by how well we stand side by side with each other? By if we are locking shields with one another. Pauls wants to hear Paul's desire for the church is that we would stand side by side, locking shields with one another so that we stand firm and so we take more ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In God saving you, he enlisted you to stand side by side with the local church because you have been given new citizenship. So a manner of life worthy Paul continues, is all of us standing firm, locking shields together for the gospel. And so let me ask just, just, you have to ask yourself, if you're not standing firm right now, maybe it's because you haven't locked shields with the church. There are so many people I can think of who were once even part of this church who have absolutely shipwrecked their faith. Because of sin, it got in the way and it wedged their relationship with God and then in shame they didn't come to the church because they couldn't. They didn't feel like they could lock shields with one another and so soon enough. Because this is what it means to be the body of Christ. But listen, this is not going to come easy. That's why we read in verse 27 that I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind Striving. 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 Side by side. Circle that word strive. You know what the word means in the original language? Strive. Because Christianity isn't easy. Sometimes we so easily as Christians can stand outside the people we read in this book and think, well, they had it easy. They don't have the same struggles I do. Are you kidding me? We all share the struggles that they did. That's why Paul says, you've got to strive, Philippians. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to come naturally. This is something that you have to work for. If we are to live worthy in the manner of the gospel, we will struggle. We will have opposition. I promise you that because Paul does. He goes on to say, verse 28, not being frightened at anything by your opponents. Opponents, that means we have enemies. There is. This is a clear sign, this is interesting, of their destruction, that our opponents is a clear sign to them of their destruction that when they go against us, they're going against God, but for your salvation and not from God. So it brings us comfort. And then Paul also says, at the end of verse 29, that it has been granted to us that we would suffer. And that granting comes from from God. if we are to live a life worthy in the manner of the gospel, we will struggle. We will struggle with others. We will have opposition, and some of that opposition will be given from the hand of God. I wish we had more time. That that, that alone is a sermon in itself. I would encourage you to go back, and and, uh, we went through a lot of those concepts throughout the book of Ruth, that suffering and blessing both come from the hand of God. We don't have time to get into that at this moment, but we are to live worthy in the manner of the gospel, we struggle with others. We suffer for the gospel. And two, Paul says we struggle, we strive in context of having one mind. Apart from the gospel, the church will never have unity. We will never have common ground if we do not stand on Jesus who is our common ground. Because we've been bought by the blood of Jesus and that is what makes us family. That is what we've been purchased into and so Christ is what we stand on. It is going to take striving for us to be in one mind collectively as a church. So do you think Lydia, first convert in the church at Philippi, do you think Lydia is having to strive right now? A couple years in the church, the church has grown. She could easily have pride in her. Hey, You know this church was born? This church was born out of my home, right? It it was born out of her home. In fact, she was probably still the biggest giver in the church at Philippi. She probably had a sense of entitlement maybe. Maybe she felt like uh, pride could easily become something. I mean, after all, she is the CEO of a fashion company and CEOs can be a little bit detail-oriented, OCD, right? Right? So she's probably struggling with these areas of pride in her life. And so Lydia, is, in the reality of her life, is probably having to strive to be in one mind, to not let this pride come and creep into her heart. Or how about the Roman soldier? Remember the second guy who got saved, the Roman soldier, second or third? The guy who gets saved in the church at Philippi. Um, do you think he's, he's dealing with, he's having to strive for one mind? Oh, you bet he is. He's probably having to learn how to lovingly handle other people in the church because he's probably used to hanging out with a bunch of the boys at the bar after the game. Uh, That's what he, you know, and and, and just being a brute and being really tough on people and just bulldozing over everyone, but not anymore because he's been saved in the church. He's going to have to learn how to not bulldoze over everyone but be sensitive. Or how about the Greek slave girl? Is she having to strive for one mind? Her parents sold her into slavery. She's got daddy issues, no doubt. She, she, this girl is, she is hurting. Learning how to lean in and trust people. She's going to have to learn how to strive to stand, stand side by side in one mind. Do you guys notice Us standing side by side and being of one mind is not limited to a certain type of people, not limited to sex, not limited to age, not limited to race, not limited to who drinks the Kool-Aid and who doesn't. It's for everyone. With all backgrounds, all stories, all all of our flaws, Paul says to us, the church, Church, we should strive with one mind. And we strive together because of what? Because of the gospel. We strive for the gospel. The gospel is what unifies us. So as we lock our shields, we stand side by side, which means, listen, we don't strive on secondary matters. There is a place to talk about secondary matters. There is a time for us to discuss some of these secondary things Preferences, styles, personalities, but we're not going to strive for them because we strive for the gospel. The gospel in Jesus is preeminent above any of our preferences, styles, or personalities. We strive with one mind because of our faith in the gospel. And that is what Paul says. Even in opposition, verse 28 not being frightened by your opponents. When we stand side by side, when we are in one mind in the gospel, when we see one another about to go into war, it makes it so much easier than we are for to go and fight this battle on our own. We need one another. Then he says in verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now I still have. They're sharing this suffering together. That man, if someone's an enemy of you, they're an enemy of us. Philippians, there are people who've gone out against you, persecuting you. And when we mean persecute, they don't mean, oh, you can't hang out with me. You can't come to this party because yeah, you're a Christian. Like persecution. Like having the skin ripped off your back, being beheaded seeing children crucified because their parents love Jesus, that is the opposition they face. So don't, we don't really know opposition too much. Even, I, I don't. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Isn't that sobering this morning? Frightening a little bit? It is, but we need to see this all in light of Paul unpacking the gospel. Thank God Paul unpacks the gospel for us a little bit in verse 29. See this. For it has been granted to you. For it has been granted to you. That is so good right there. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. Good works do not lead to the gospel. Your good efforts on the best day, on your best day of your own righteousness, does not lead to the gospel, because that's good works. And if your good works lead you to the gospel, then that's not good news. What has God done for us through Jesus Christ? Well, the gospel is salvation that leads us to good works. The gospel is the good work God has already done in us and the work that God has already done for us. It is finished, is what Jesus Christ said on the cross when he was crucified for your sin and for my sin. Our work, our accomplishments, all that we could do in pursuing Jesus Christ is finished through what Christ did. And so no wonder Paul says here in verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, we believe. We believe. Our strife is not for our salvation. Our strife is because we have salvation. It is because we have been saved, we strive. Don't put works in front of faith, but you can't also completely obliterate works because works will flow from a true faith in Jesus Christ. How does that happen? How does faith in Jesus Christ happen? Paul says it's been granted to us. Faith is a gift that is given to us from God. The gospel is us standing upon the grace of Jesus Christ, saving us from our sins, so much so that there is no work we can boast in. You can never be worthy to earn the gospel. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. No one, None of us could even brag on it. We have received received grace through the life of Jesus Christ. We were not worthy of salvation. We were not worthy of forgiveness because, guys, the wages of sin, what we've earned from trying to do things for our own glory, the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. That's what we've earned for ourselves. What we've, the only thing we've ever earned for ourselves is eternal condemnation through death because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gospel is us standing upon all that Christ has done for us, because He's granted it to us. Isn't that amazing? That even as Paul, in these texts and verses here, demands you and demands me to mature as Christians, it's all in light of the gospel. Don't do this on your own. Don't fight on your own. Don't try to be religious, but fall in love with Jesus all the more, and you will see these evidences flow from your life. Our life, our manner of life should be worthy of the gospel because we have been saved by the gospel. Salvation is of the Lord. Faith is a gift that comes from God. Listen, if you are a Christian, you've been granted salvation. In response to his saving grace, if you were not a Christian, God brought you in here and you are here today because God wanted you to see his son, Jesus. God wanted you to know that he sent his only son into this world, not to condemn the world, but that through Jesus, this world would be saved, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that it is a gift that is granted from God and as you receive the gift of faith that comes from God, respond to him with you giving all of your life to him. Give your life to Jesus Christ in response to the gospel. Confess your sin. Repent. And don't drink from the wells of this water any longer, but drink from his everlasting well of which you will never thirst again. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, God, that you've made a way for us and that while we were still sinners, God, you died for us. Your cross, God, is a demonstration of how far you were willing to go because you love us. God, grant salvation in your house at this church this morning. Holy Spirit, do the work of revealing Jesus so that those souls in here right now in this present moment who do not know you would come to a relationship with you by your grace and that they would respond to you by giving their lives to you, Jesus, sacrificing all of them at your feet, you becoming their treasure, you becoming their joy, you becoming great and them decreasing in their life. So if that's you right now, Have this conversation with the Lord. Pray to God. Talk to him about these things and and repent from your sin right now. And may we as your church, God, look for the evidences of the gospel at work in our life. God, you don't expect perfection on this side of glory, but there is to be progress if we are in love with you. And maybe we've been in this rut of really not living life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Would you use the gospel and would you use the Holy Spirit through this message, through your word, to kickstart and begin again forward progress until you come again. Leaning and pressing into holiness, God, for your glory. God, thank you for this time in your word. Would you bless us, God? Would you keep us? Would you give us your grace and peace this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.